Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, hi, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. In case you haven't noticed, nostalgia is pretty big right now. In movies... Hi, Barbie! Hi, Ken! Hi, Barbie! Hi, Barbie! Hi, Barbie! TV. But the more I live, the more I find myself mystified. And in music... Yeah, cos girls is players too. Everything that is old is new again, or revisited, reimagined or remade. But why are we so much about looking backwards in 2023? Did the pandemic years make us all yearn for the time before, or are we trying to escape from the world we exist in now, where we know more, see more, and consume more? Today, we take a look at nostalgia, what it is, what it does to us, and whether it can be taken too far. But first, your news headlines for Friday, April 14. Cyclone Ilsa has crossed the WA coastline as a Category 4 storm, with winds at its centre reaching 195 kilometres an hour. It had strengthened to a Category 5 while over waters off Port Hedland, but weakened as it made landfall, impacting the coast shortly before midnight Thursday between Bidyadanga and Port Hedland, with extreme wind gusts of up to 250 kilometres an hour, passing to the east of the mining town between De Grey and Pardu Roadhouse. The mayor of Port Hedland saying the town of around 16,000 was expecting a very rough night. The Bureau of Meteorology says the storm will cause a lot of damage despite hitting a largely unpopulated area of the country. Donald Trump is back in New York being questioned this time over a $250 million civil fraud lawsuit against him by the state's Attorney General. Today's deposition will take place behind closed doors and is unlikely to create the same fever as last week's surrender on criminal charges. The lawsuit accusing him of a decade-long scheme to manipulate property values and his net worth in order to obtain favourable loans and tax benefits. It's not the first time Trump has faced the New York Attorney General while being questioned in August last year before the case was filed, Trump famously invoked his right against self-incrimination under the Fifth Amendment more than 400 times. Crown prosecutors have launched another bid to have convicted sex offender Jared Hayne detained before his sentencing. Former NRL player Hayne was found guilty of two counts of sexual intercourse without consent earlier this month after a third trial, one having been unable to reach a verdict. The second, when he was also found guilty, was overturned on appeal due to wrong legal directions being given to the jury before they deliberated. Hayne spending nine months behind bars, but he was allowed to leave court to await sentencing this 
this time, the lower court ruling he was too famous to be detained before his sentence was handed down. Judge Turnbull said while Hayne is going to jail, to detain him now means he would be a remand prisoner and vulnerable around other prisoners awaiting sentencing. Hayne quickly became a target last time he was in custody before he was moved to a more protected facility. The woman who led the review into workplace culture for parliamentary staff in the wake of the allegations from Brittany Higgins that she was raped in Parliament House will end her term as Sex Discrimination Commissioner this Sunday. Kate Jenkins has been hailed as a trailblazer who improved workplace conditions for women across Australia, spearheading the Respect at Work report in 2020 looking at the impact of sexual harassment in Australian workplaces. She also led investigations into reports of sexual harassment in Australian universities and gymnastics and led cultural reform projects with the Australian Defence Force and Australian Police. In a joint statement from the Minister for Women, Katie Gallagher and Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus, they stated that Miss Jenkins had made a remarkable contribution to public service and leaves behind a legacy of making Australia a better and fairer place. The British fashion designer widely credited with the invention of the miniskirt has died at the age of 93. Dame Mary Quant was one of the most internationally recognised fashion designers of the 20th century, an innovator of the fashion of the swinging 60s. She's also held as making fashion accessible to the masses, opening her first store in King's Road in 1955. The Victoria and Albert Museum, which recently hosted an exhibition of her work, shared on social media that it's impossible to oversee state Quant's contribution to fashion, that she represented the joyful freedom of the 1960s and provided a new role model for young women, saying fashion today owes so much to her trailblazing vision. That's your latest news headlines in a moment, today's Deep Dive. Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. We're living in a time where the past is playing a big role in how we see ourselves right now. Fashion, for example, has decided to cover all the decades, with band T-shirts from pop music icons The Beatles to The Spice Girls hanging from racks in stores. Flares, skinny leg or high-waisted, denim seems to have no one defined look in 2023, rather a range of styles collected from the past. Dresses are high-necked frills or barely-there geometric cutouts Crop tops and oversized T-shirts, both staples of the 90s, are back, as are cargo pants and cropped cardigans. Early ooze denim maxi skirts are a thing now too. The cinemas are packed with remakes, prequels and sequels. Lady Gaga stepping in where Barbara Streisand once sang in A Star Is Born. A Stephen King classic that scared the pants off people in 1989, Pet Cemetery, got a redo in 2019. The round is bad. And we've seen Keanu return as Neo in The Matrix. Neo! Trinity! Ah! 
And it's not just the big screen either. On our TVs, there are cameos of the cast of How I Met Your Mother in the new show, How I Met Your Father. Same thing is happening in Wisconsin with a new generation of that 70s show taking us to the 90s. And almost all the girls returning for a new version of the 90s hit Sex in the City. If there is anything I've learned from my recent loss, it's that you will laugh again, especially, especially if you have one or two good friends in your corner. And it's happening in music too. 90s R&B stars from Boys to Men to TLC have toured Australia in recent years. The Spice Girls have been teasing a reunion tour. S Club 7 were about to embark on one before the death of Paul Catamol just days ago. And just recently, Daryl Braithwaite was pulled up on stage to sing the iconic Horses with British superstar Harry Styles. The number of 90s tracks being sampled in pop music now are almost too many to count. Laura Brodnick is Mamma Mia's head of entertainment and co-host of the daily entertainment podcast, The Spill. Laura, is it just us or is Hollywood really leaning into nostalgia at the moment? Yes, in a huge way. And they're not just looking anymore to remake TV shows and movies like they have in the past. Now the Hollywood executives are very much kind of going back through their IP libraries and going back through different sources and remaking things or turning into movies, things like games or toys that a lot of millennials in particular, who are the ones at the moment who are either going to the movies with their friends or have families that they're taking to the movies, so they're the ones in control of the money, of remaking movies around toys or games or ideas that they remember from their childhood and really catching in on that nostalgia from the late 80s into the early 90s. I did just take my kid to go and see Super Mario, so that is correct. The thing is, though, in order to do this, they have to be making money from it, right? Are they cashing in on this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, not every movie. A few of them have it in the past with a few of the remakes haven't done as well. But Super Mario Brothers, as an example, is a really good one because that's obviously based off a property that a lot of millennials in particular remember from their childhoods, from the games, from the TV shows, they know all the characters. That was a really kind of a big move for the studios to make that into a movie. And even though there was a lot of criticism leading into it because people are very protective of things they loved in their childhood and they were very unsure about how the storyline would go, they were unsure about Chris Pratt voicing the main character. But that movie has broken so many records over the weekend. So it's the biggest video game adaptation of all time beating out Warcraft, which had previously set a record, and the biggest opening for an animated film of all time, beating Frozen 2, which was kind of a record that people didn't expect to be broken for quite a long time. And even though, like, the reviews are quite good, but a lot of it has come down to the fact that millennials either went with their family, who they remember kind of enjoying this property with as kids, or they took their own kids along to the movie, and that's why it broke all those records. So it ended up paying off for them in a big way. We know that there's been quite a few in the nostalgia lineup of late, and we're seeing the trailers for Barbie come out now, which is another in a long list of nostalgic lookbacks at our childhood. But is there like a whole list of ones still to come? Are we going to be cashing in on nostalgia for, you know, a good time into the future? Oh, absolutely. If you look at the lineup of movies that is coming out, it's heavily kind of leaning into that nostalgia from the late 80s and early 90s. 
And Barbie is a really big part of that because there was a lot of hesitation around that movie. It changed creative teams and stars and directors so many times before they found the right way to tell it. And now you can kind of tell from the pre-marketing that that's probably going to set some box office records as well. But even before that comes out, The Little Mermaid, the live-action remake, is coming out in May. That's obviously taking a really well-known Disney property and bringing it to the big screen. And then in June, we've got an Indiana Jones movie coming out with Harrison Ford, you know, reprising his iconic role. So if you're looking at some of these names of movies, it almost could be identical to the movie like list that came out in the 90s and 80s and kind of even coming into the early 2000s with things like the new screen movie coming out. But that's what audiences want to see. And aside from kind of the Marvel tent poles and those superhero movies that were really holding up the box office for a long time, those movies are still there. But now studios, if they want a surefire hit, they're looking to remake those really iconic properties because there's this idea that unless a movie has brand and name recognition, it's going to be really hard to get audiences into the seats, into a physical theatre and to pay money. So they're really banking on that nostalgia, especially from millennials who are kind of feeling the you know economic crush at the moment, who are kind of in the throes, a lot of them of adulthood or parenthood, and it's kind of seen as escapism, but also for a way for them to kind of have a surefire hit, which in the movie industry at the moment is a really difficult thing to achieve. We love to revisit the past, whether it be in movies, on TV, in fashion or in song. Those sights, sounds and feels take us to a place that we either remember fondly or that we wish we could have experienced. But what exactly is nostalgia? Why do we do it? And is it a negative or a positive experience for us in the long run? Heidi Mowat, MD, a neurologist and expert in brain health and neurological disorders, wrote in 2016 that nostalgia is actually a very powerful emotion that can kick off from anything from an event resembling a past experience to a familiar smell, sound or taste. When a brain experiencing nostalgia is studied, it shows stimulated metabolic activity and blood flow in several regions, particularly in the frontal lobe and midbrain areas. Studies have also found that those who rated higher on the effective neuroscience personality scale, a measure of a person's tendency towards sadness, were also more prone to experiencing nostalgia. But unlike the way we view nostalgia today, go back a few hundred years and you'll find doctors were actually quite concerned for those who admitted to it. The term nostalgia was coined in 1688, and when you break it down to its Greek origins, it means homecoming pain or ache. And at that point and through to even the 19th century, it was considered a pathological disorder rather than a fond trip down memory lane. It had been studied in soldiers during the Thirty Years' War in Europe in the 1600s, where particularly Swiss officers felt nostalgic when they heard a song about milking cows back home in Switzerland. Singing or playing it became punishable by death. Spanish soldiers would be sent home after experiencing what was then known as El Mal de Corazon, what we now know as nostalgia, with many others then faking it in order to be medically discharged and sent back to their loved ones. When immigrants moved in greater numbers to the US in the 19th and 20th centuries, nostalgia was referred to as immigrant psychosis, with these newly arrived Americans pining for home. The causes of the disorder ranged from too lenient an education to being from a certain mountainous region, masturbation, eating unusual food and love. 
Some scientists even searched for years for the elusive nostalgia bone, which they would never actually locate. The treatment was also at times brutal. One French doctor thought treating it with pain and terror was helpful. In the Russian outbreak of nostalgia in 1733, a general told his troops the first to come down with the virus would be buried alive, a threat he would make good on at least a few times. Nostalgia has been treated with leeches, purging the stomach, and something referred to as warm hypnotic emulsions, which in 2023, the definition of seems to be a little lost. But as our views on nostalgia changed, researchers found that it can actually have quite a positive impact on the human body, like its ability to block feelings of anxiety or disappointment. It's been seen as a mood booster, a way to help strengthen bonds between friends and family, make people more optimistic. It's linked to resilience and perseverance and is thought to foster creativity. A 2015 study published in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology found it can make us more open to experiencing new things. One University of Southampton study found that nostalgia serves a homeostatic function, allowing the mental stimulation of previously enjoyed states, including states of bodily comfort. In other words, it can actually make us feel warmer or increase our tolerance to the cold at least. But there are some downsides too, like when nostalgia turns to melancholy, about never being able to go back, yearning for something that can never be. Joe Lamble is a clinical psychologist, author and co-host of Mamma Mia's podcast, Help I Have a Teenager. Joe, from what we know about nostalgia now, is it actually a positive or a negative emotion? It's funny. I think anecdotally, we tend to remember the good from the past. You know, if anyone dies, obviously people are grieving, but somebody who might not know them well, again, the talk is as if they're elevated to saint status. You know, they're only the good things. And that's a really nice thing about human nature, that we can really remember the good times. But it can be problematic because Say for this is a very common thing, somebody ends a relationship because it's not working and it's not good for them. It might be bringing out the worst in them and their partner. But then as the months go on, they start only remembering the good times. And so then they start thinking, what am I doing? Why aren't I with this person? Because we had such a fabulous time and we were so suited. So often they reconcile and they start the relationship again and then they go, oh, now I remember. That's right. That's right. Yes, this wasn't very good. And so um, they have to go through that pain again. That's why a lot of relationships can have a slow death, that on-off, on-off at the end, because people are forgetting the things that they really do need to remember. And the other thing I see in my office, again, I'm talking the negatives of nostalgia, is that I have people perhaps in their 40s or 50s who are comparing their current long-term relationship with the relationship they had in their 20s. And they really yearn for that person. And now with all these ways to reconnect with people from your past, they catch up with that person from their past and they reminisce and they say, what am I doing? You were my soulmate, actually. You know, we had such a great time. And comparing it to the current relationship that's full of responsibilities and (laughs) histories and stress, and they look back at this time where they were free, they had less responsibility, and they think, oh, that must be the person I should be with. So, so many people reconnect connect and may even destroy a current relationship because they're looking at things through these, you know, nostalgic glasses. So is our brain actually rewarding us for doing this experience? Like chemically, is it tapping into our reward centre somehow? 
is certainly a feel-good experience to go back. If you think about the 90s, yes, I can, you know, focus on the music or the films or the TV. I don't think about until I force myself to think about, my gosh, yes, interest rates were so high. We were working out how many ways we could have mince in a week. We used to sit at work, say, anyone else got a new recipe? What else can we cook that doesn't, you know, cost us much money? So it was tough those years. But again, we look back and I know my adult kids say, oh, you were so lucky you had that time in the 80s and 90s, you know, where the music and the hair and the fashion, it was so great. And you, know, you can't help but smile and say, yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great. But I remember being my kids age thinking, oh, my parents are so lucky to have the 60s. How cool were the 60s? (laughs) Because, you know, you you do, you look back, especially when we do see these films coming back and TV shows coming back and it reminds us, you know, we look probably, this is just actually in response to your question, probably does release some sort of feel-good chemical that we think, yeah, that was great because we want to. We want to feel good. We want to remember the good. What about for those who suffer mental health conditions where nostalgia might not be a good impact? Say you have depression, for example, and then you start down that walk down memory lane and it might take you to the what ifs and should have kind of section. Can it worsen someone's mental health to be too nostalgic? Yeah, especially just hit on it really well there. The what ifs, what ifs are so dangerous. And that often comes into play with depression and it can come into play with anxiety too. That if only, what if and if only, and yes, it can really bring you down. And so it's always a case, especially with psychology, always a case of finding out what's going on now and what is the best therapeutic strategy for you. And for some people, it's going back at nostalgia and reminiscing and reminding yourself and being grateful. And for other people, that is the worst thing they can do if you want to sort of try and look forward and zoom out and say, okay, let's give you some hope about the future. The past has been really, really tough, but right now you're at this point in your life and here are some strategies to move you forward so you can have hope that the future will be so much better than the past. When I was a teenager and in my 20s, it seemed like all the focus was on the future. It was beyond 2000. It was, you know, wanting to innovate and have new technology and then smartphones and internet and in your pocket. And it's always like move forward, forward, forward now. And I'm wanting to know if you think that COVID and the pandemic has really had an impact on the direction in which we're looking, because it seems like we've kind of shifted to looking behind us rather than ahead. Do you think COVID has got us all collectively just kind of yearning for the good old days? I think you're right. I think whatever stage of life you're at, but particularly I've found that for young people, people in their very late teens and in their 20s, it's just not been what they expected at that time, what they were really looking forward to. I cannot wait to be an adult, cannot wait to finish school, cannot wait to start the new chapter and it was completely stunted. So I can see why they might think, okay, let's have a trip down nostalgia lane to see if that looks better (laughs) than the present or the future. But having said that, as I said before, I mean, again, I remember being in my 20s and being so excited about getting given an old-fashioned phone and a really old-fashioned one with a big handle thinking, yes, that's so cool, you know, and I remember, again, just all through my early 20s dressing in 60s clothes, you know, and when I was only born in the late 60s, you know, so I think it's always been there. But yes, I think it's been amplified by the fact that the present in the last few years has not been enjoyable. Hey, Joe, do you think 
we need this nostalgia hit every now and then to sort of escape the heaviness of our world. I mean, if you add up pandemics and bushfires and floods and wars and us consuming all the information in the entire world off our smartphones and us having to grasp and evolve with new concepts and understanding diversity and respecting each other and this nostalgia is kind of shiny and bright and very surface level, so it's very easy to consume. Do you think sometimes it's escapism from the heaviness of life at times? I think, yeah, there's two points in what you just said. I think just on the fact that, as you say, we're now far more respectful and educated and known, that's good. And we need to remember that, that in the past, if we're going to look back in the past, we can think, wow, the bigotry, the judgment, the discrimination. Yes, it still goes on, but my goodness, it was so much worse then. So let's, you know, be grateful and let's be proud of ourselves. And we've got a lot more movement to make. But even in the last week, I can't tell you how many people have said, I just can't watch the news, listen to the news, read anything about what's going on because it is so depressing. So yes, I think people just want to escape. And again, with the cost of living pressures, in the past, they may have planned a holiday or you know, a trip overseas. And now that's not really affordable. So let's escape into movies and TV shows and chats about the past. Yes, so I think there's a huge escape element to this. A 2015 study by a group of scientists in Tokyo found that nostalgia-related activity in the brain showed up in both the memory and the reward systems, and that that proved there is some cooperation between these two systems that allows those memories to give us a hit of happiness. So next time you take a walk down memory lane or rock out to that tune that was big when you were 16 or smell that particular food only your grandparents made, it could be doing your brain a world of good. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon. 